Um, thank you again for coming, for being here. Um, it's our yeah, privilege and joy to be able to, to, to do this together. Um, we're here today is, uh, what is today, February 26th, first Sunday of, of, of Lent. Just a, a quick show of hands. Anyone who is, is doing something different for Lent, and I'm, I'm doing something, I'm fasting something, I'm trying something, something new for Lent, anyone in here? Okay, a few people. Okay, cool. Uh, talked to some people this week, and, and, and they shared a little bit of uh, the things that they're trying to do. Uh, I know some people have given up, um, uh, given up soda. A decent number of people have given up soda for Lent. Um, others have given up red meat, which is very difficult to do, I know. Uh, given up red meat. Um, others said that they're giving up uh, eyeliner, which is pretty cool. It's a female. <laughs> giving up eyeliner. Uh, and hair care products. They're not putting anything in their hair so they can just be au naturel. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, others said that they're giving up uh, K-pop, which is, for, for, I guess for them, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. Others have given up uh, watching Korean videos, which has become quite an addiction for some. Uh, someone this morning said, uh, I'm giving up shopping for the duration of Lent. Um, forget what other people... Someone, someone said um, they've given up all social media. I read something very interesting this week. Uh, some studies were done that showed that Facebook is more powerful in terms of an addiction than alcohol and, and drugs are. Isn't that crazy? So maybe for some of y'all who are giving up Facebook for Lent or experiencing all kinds of like withdrawal symptoms and you're getting headaches because you can't get online, you don't know what's going on in the lives of other people. Um, but for some, uh, that's a huge thing. And I, maybe some of you haven't decided yet, oh, I, I think I want to do something, but I'm not quite sure what to do. Um, that's okay. I mean, no one is, is binding you to these 40 days of Lent or 46 days of Lent for you to have to do something or anything like that. But as a way of preparing us for Holy Week, uh, fasting something for Lent may be a good thing. I, I know recent, recently the trend has been not only to fast from something, but to participate in something else. So some people have decided we're going to uh, sleep by midnight, wake up by 7. I know someone else said, I'm going to spend for, uh, for Lent. I know I should be doing this every day, but I'm going to spend 30 minutes a day uh, with God in the Word and in prayer. And rather than just taking something out, but incorporating something into their lives as well. But I, I'm always led to, to, to wonder... Uh, what's the point of all this? I don't ask this in a cynical way, but just as a way of checking my heart and my motives, what is the point of all of this stuff? Why do we do all of these Lenten fasts and incorporate things and take things out of our lives? Why do we do all of these things surrounding Lent? Uh, one of my classmates at, at RTS, we graduated together, his name's Elliot Grudem. He wrote this great, uh, great piece about Lent. And he talks about how he spent some time in New Orleans, and it's very interesting. New Orleans is almost the epicenter of these Mardi Gras parties. Mardi Gras, which literally means Fat Tuesday, comes right before Ash Wednesday. And so as they have these parties, the parties leading up to, uh, leading up to Lent are called Carnival. Have you ever heard that before? Carnival. It comes from a Latin, two Latin words that means carne and wale. Okay, any idea what that means? Here's what it means. It means goodbye meat. Okay? Uh, carne, we, we all know, carne is not we all know, but some of us know. Carne means meat, and then wale means bye-bye. So here's, here's what happens in uh, New Orleans on Bourbon Street. All these parties are happening for Mardi Gras, and then at 12.01 a.m. on Ash Wednesday. Okay, so that night, Tuesday, you party all day, all night for, for weeks, and then gets to 11.59, 12 o'clock, 12.01, you've got these cops on, uh, these policemen on horses, and they come and they just basically form this line and they push everybody out of Bourbon Street and tell them, go home, goodbye meat, goodbye parting, all this stuff. Right? So literally, literally the picture is this. You spend all your days parting and parting, 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 and then 1201 comes and then a switch comes and you're like, bye-bye meat, no more partying. 
Okay, it's like you indulge and then you stop all of these things uh, in just a matter of a minute. And I wonder, is that what Lent was created, designed, orchestrated to be all about? Uh, I think it's got to be more than that. It is more than that. It is more than that. Uh, in, in the Bible, Romans 14, 5, I think it says that these holy feasts should be done in a way that honors the Lord God. So the point I, I want to make today, for the next six weeks, we're going to talk about Lent as we walk through Lent, talk about different practices and habits and, and disciplines that will help us to really be able to make Lent a meaningful time as we lead up to Good Friday, as we lead up to Easter Sunday. But I want to get a little bit into the heart of what Lent is all about and what it's trying to accomplish and why we're trying to go through all of these things of fasting and all that stuff and what God's trying to do in it through it all. Okay, so we're going to look at 2 Chronicles 7.14. Uh, and this is going to lay a foundation for the weeks to come, but also to lay a foundation for this 7.14 challenge that I want to offer us and invite us into. Uh, we're just going to read one verse. It comes at the dedication of the temple of God as Solomon has just uh, finished it. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. As we read this, um, be reminded that this is God's word. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Uh, I know, obviously, with every text, there's a context to it. Um, I, I, I pull out this verse and I highlight it just as a way of, of us entering into the heart and the ethos of what I believe God is calling his church to be about as we enter into the season of Lent. Obviously, Lent is the 40 days, um, taking out the six Sundays, so 46 days from Ash Wednesday until... Um, until Good Friday, uh, Holy Saturday, um, that day in between, uh, Easter Sunday. And the, the, the whole point and the purpose is that we would ready our hearts and prepare our hearts and examine our hearts so that we can get to a place where we really understand, really understand in a deeper way uh, the atoning sacrifice, the life that was given, Jesus Christ dying on a cross and what that means for us, rather than that cu- coming and sneaking up on us so that we feel like, oh, you know what, it just kind of came and went and I didn't really... I wasn't really able to enter into it and understand the, uh, with full gravity uh, what it means when we look at and survey the wondrous cross. Okay, so three thoughts I want to share here that kind of lead us through some of the attitudes that will be helpful for Lent. The first thing is, is God calls his people, God calls his people to do something about sin and brokenness. Begins this verse saying, if my people who are called by my name. Part of what Lent is, a deep part of what Lent is, it's a time of introspection, of examination, to look and to think and to, 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 to ponder. Because our lives can be so busy, we don't often think about things outside of our world and not think about them for a long time. And one of the things that Lent causes us to do is to stop and, and to sit, which is great why some people said, you know what, I want to spend 30 minutes a day with God, or I want to do this and, and this in order to create space for me to encounter the living God. But that's part of what it is, is for us to be still enough to be introspective enough to examine the things that God is doing in our lives and in our own hearts. And one of the things that no doubt we will come to realize as we spend time with God, as we, as we meditate on his word, as we pray to him, one of the things that undoubtedly we'll recognize is that our world is broken. And you don't have to be a follower of Jesus Christ to understand that. 
You don't have to have been going to church for 20 years or 15 years or even a year or even a day for you to understand it. You just have to look at the news, just read uh, whatever newspaper it is that you read, watch whatever TV station that you look at. It doesn't take long for you to begin to realize that this world is a broken place and then to realize at, on Easter, on Good Friday, that that's why Jesus came. He came to fix the brokenness in the world. But I, I think it's particularly important. God is saying, look, I am concerned about sin, and I am concerned about brokenness. And if you're my people, then that same desire that beats within my heart ought to beat within yours. He, so he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll bring healing on your land. Okay, here's, why, here's why this is so important. I'm just going to tell a story. I, I was hanging out in California with a um, good buddy of mine, went to college, did a lot of ministry together. He's serving out in California now. And we're just talking over lunch one day about the things that God is doing in our lives, okay? things that God's doing about in our individual lives, in our families, in our church context, in the world. And, and so Kevin was telling me about this trip that he took to Cambodia last year. Took a trip to Cambodia with a group called International Justice Mission. Uh, and he was hanging out. There was this Jesus camp in the city called Phnom Penh. And he said there's about 100 kids, anywhere, uh, girls aged 3 through 19, okay, 3 to 19, and they're there, and he's just kind of observing them as they're doing their, they're doing their ministry. And these hundred children are singing songs. And with their, just this huge smile on their faces, they're singing. And with their eyes tightly closed, they're singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Can I stop? I'm <laughs> stop. Singing this song. And, and just with such beauty as he's hearing the songs of the children of the church. And as he's hearing this song, he's just taking it all in. And he's smiling and he's just looking because he has children that age, uh, four and two years old. He's watching them and thinking about the reality of these precious young ones who know the love of Jesus Christ. And, and someone for, who organizes this camp walked up to, to Kevin and said, hey, you know what? You know what the, the, the saddest thing about all this is? He said, what? He said, they're going to go to this camp. They're going to sing this song. And that tonight, they're going to be put to work in the brothels where they're sex slaves. And then they'll come back tomorrow morning and they'll sing these songs again. And as he was hearing this, he said, well, what, what about their parents? And they said, well, a lot of times it's the parents who take them and, and sell them into this so that they can have money, that they can put food on their table. He says, what, what, what about the police? What about? And so the lady said, follow me. And they walked outside. And about, he said, about 50 yards away, 100 yards away, in every corner, right, police cars. He said, see these police you know what they're doing? And he said, well, obviously, they're patrolling the area. He said, no, they're just looking for a tip. You come in for $30, you can buy anywhere from 3 years old to 19 years old. You can buy a child for the night. And these cops are there saying, if you pay me $2, I'll turn the other way. I'll turn the other way. There's corruption at the grassroots level, at the, at the familial level, at the level of, 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 of government. In every area, there's all kinds of corruption. And obviously, he's infuriated because as I'm hearing this secondhand, 
And my heart is just beating with, with anger. D- does your heart not move with anger as you hear stories? Like, this is our children's age, your children's age, singing songs of Jesus, and then that next night going to work because these sick, filthy people want to use them for pleasure. Here's where, here's where it matters. 30 years later, okay, fast forward, 2040, okay? We're all, I don't know how old you'll be, 50, 80. Maybe some of y'all will be, I don't know. But we're there, and our children and our grandchildren say, Grandma, Grandpa, I have no idea what, I see pictures of life in the year 2012. Can you tell me what life was like? Tell me what life was really like. And you begin to tell them about Facebook, and you begin to tell them about uh, the stores that you used to go to. You begin to tell them about the foods and the bands that were hot and the sports teams that were hot. And then they say, well, what were some of the, what were some of the, the, the challenging things? What were some of the hard things in life? And, and you begin to tell them about human trafficking. And as you begin to share stories like the ones I just shared, no doubt you'll hear some of these stories also, and you'll have stories to tell. And you'll begin to tell these stories to your children and to, their, and to your grandchildren. And then at one point in the conversation, as you're retelling horror upon horror upon horror, they look at you and they say, Grandpa, Grandma, what did you do about it? It would be an utter travesty if at that moment in time we had to fumble for words. It would be an absolute tragedy if we looked at our grandchild who's just shaken over this and you look at them and you say, I didn't do anything. Do you understand where this, the rub is happening here? Like we see all of this stuff and we point fingers at them and God says, if my people, if my people who are called by my name, you wear the name of Jesus Christ, that you've seen the brokenness, that you worship the one who came to give his life for the brokenness of the world. For us to look at that and then to say, I didn't do anything about it. And they say, why? How could you not do anything? How could you not care? Did you not? Oh, of course I cared. Well, how did that care? Where did that care translate into action? At what point did it do that? I mean, gra- grandma, grandpa didn't. I mean, surely you had the greatest message that the world is dying to hear. If you didn't do anything about sex trafficking, if you didn't do anything about the injustice in the world, if you didn't do anything about the homelessness, then surely you went and you told everybody that you know about this Jesus, didn't you? See, our world is looking for heroes, guys, for people who will stand up and be a voice for the voiceless ones, for people who leverage the influence that you have and the education that you have and the platform that you have to fight and to do something. Hey, we're not the 1% that Wall Street people try and make it sound like you are the 10%. If we have $25,000 a year income, we are in the top upper echelon of the world that we have resources that the world is dying for and that these people are longing to be released for the sake of the captives being set free. Right? This is what God is saying. Saying, if my people, if my people who are called by my name, he's saying, we have a choice. And we have a choice. What will we do in response to the sin and the brokenness in our world? That's the first thing that, that we see here. The second thing that we see is revival begins when God's people are broken over their own sin. 
if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God's saying, yeah, we ought to and must be broken over the needs of the world and over the brokenness and the sin out there. He's saying revival begins at this level, right, with you, with me as individuals. So much of, of Lent, the Lenten journey is about going deep into that place and to realize that I am as culpable for the brokenness in the world as these pimps and these traitors are. Right? I am as culpable as they are. Look, anytime, anytime you open up a pornographic website, you're feeding into the sex traffic industry. Do you realize this? That the reason these websites exist is because people will go to them and spend their money and spend their time on it. So there's a huge demand. So where, where are they going to get people to do this? They find them off the streets in Phnom Penh. They find them in the streets of Thailand. They find them in the streets of Orlando. Did you know that they say during All-Star Weekend, so much prostitution is going to be going on in our downtown Orlando area, and a lot of it is going to be forced. It's not just them out there. Right? It's, it's, it's us. It's all of us. We are culpable for so much of the brokenness in the world. And God says revival begins when we begin to realize that there's a depth of brokenness in our own lives. There's a, there's a depth of sin. When we begin to get serious over our sin, and begin to repent over our sin, there's a, a, a revivalist back in the day, Gypsy Smith was named. Someone said, how does revival happen? He says, here's how it happens. You go into your room, and you draw a circle around yourself, and you pray, and you say, God, bring revival. Begin with what's inside this circle, and then work your way outward. He says, when God answers that prayer, that's when revival has begun. And it begins with us. It begins at this level, at the heart level, at the personal level, for us going into our own, to, to look into our own brokenness and to be okay with that. To realize that God's grace is so much bigger than any sin that we could commit, but to not take that sin lightly, but to feel the full weight of it and to enter into it and to say, God, this is me, this is my life, this is my brokenness. This is why the psalmist says, search me, O God, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there be any anxious way in me. Lead me away from my sin and lead me into life everlasting. That we would be willing to go into that place. It's not, it's not, our, prop, it's not our place and, and not our place for us to go in to talk about all the, the, the people who are out there doing all this wrong stuff and, and pointing a finger at them. He's saying, you hear this, don't you? Every time you point your finger at somebody, you've got four fingers, three, four, at least three fingers pointing back at you, Right? saying, for every time you point at the, at the brokenness out there, he's saying, look at the sin inside your own life and realize that there's brokenness within us. It's not just your church that's messed up. It's not your city that's messed up. It's us. saying, revival begins at that level. Instead of blaming and pointing and gossiping about all that's wrong with other people, they look at our own hearts and be broken over that place. And be broken over the sin in our own lives. Uh, Gordon McDonald in his book, The Resilient Life, says this word repentance isn't, isn't primarily a religious or spiritual word. This word came out in, in, in a culture of nomads when there was no GPS, there were no street signs, 
no roadmaps anywhere. These nomads would just ride on their camels, and they would go trying to find Jerusalem or Bethlehem, where they're just riding on their horses, and then they, or on their camels, and they realize, you know what? We're lost. We're lost. Okay, the word repentance, this is what it means. It means to recognize that you're not where you ought to be, and then to turn around and to get to where you need to go. Okay, that's what repentance means. I'm not just saying, I messed up, but it's saying, we need to turn around and get where we need to go. You understand? I think a lot of us are good at saying, yeah, I've, I, I've blown it. Yeah, I've messed up. I lied. I cheated. I gossiped. I committed uh, sin. I did all of these things, but we're not very good at making that turn around, are we? Right? That's what literally repentance means, to understand that you're lost, and then to turn around and to go a different way, to go towards life and away from death. Think this is what it means to, to repent and to turn from our wicked ways. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever seen this, this cartoon where, where George Washington, he of the famous uh, cherry tree, right? Cherry tree, apple tree, which one was it? Cherry tree. Right? So there's this cartoon where he's, obviously he's chopped down the, the, the cherry tree and there's a bunch of dead cherry trees all around it and he's just confessed. And his dad says to him, I know you cut down the cherry tree. You're always saying you cut down the cherry tree, but when are you going to stop doing it? And I wonder if, that might be God's heart sometimes. I know he is enduringly patient with us. But I think at a certain point, maybe not God's heart, but maybe our heart ought to be, yeah, I've, I've, I've confessed that I did it. I cannot tell a lie. I did it. But at what point do we begin to turn around and say, I'm going to pursue a new life? I've been, I've been changed from the inside, and I want to let that change come out. At what point do we begin to, to turn our camel around and move in a different direction? That's what, that's what God is saying when he says to turn from our wicked ways. Okay, that then God would hear from heaven and he would heal, forgive our sin and he would heal our land. That we would realize that this is what God's calling us to. Not just to recognize and not just to see, but, 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 to, but to move forward in a different way because we've been convicted over our sin, that it begins here with us. I, I love to read about these great revivals in, 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 of old and, and to hear their stories and how they began and what the fruit of it was. And in 1904, in the tiny uh, little island of Wales, which is now part of Great Britain, um, there's a guy named Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts was um, a seminary student. I, I don't, he was a young man. And while he was in seminary in, in Wales, he just felt like God was calling him to preach a message of revival uh, where he was at. And so God began to just put that burden in his heart, and he'd go to different revival services, and he would get excited, and he would get passionate and fired up for God. He went back to his home church one day, and he asked his pastor, he said, uh, God's really been putting on me, uh, in me a heart for revival, to see the lost come to Christ, and to see our culture, and to see our our society flipped right side up. So would you give me the opportunity to, to preach one day at church? His pastor was, was hesitant, and he said, no, I, don't, I don't know if I could do that because I don't, you know, I don't know your credentials. I know that you're in seminary, but that's about all I know. I'm not really sure I could do that. But he, he made this compromise. He said, on Wednesday night, okay, Wednesday night we've got these gatherings, and I won't let you speak on Wednesday night, but afterwards I'll announce that there's a prayer meeting, and anyone who wants to stick around can stick around. And he said, okay, that, that's fair enough. And so this one Wednesday night, Wednesday service ended. The pastor said, Evan Roberts is going to be sharing a word, and we're going to have a time of prayer for anybody who wants to stick around. And 17 people showed up, okay, 17 people. 
they stuck around, and most of them were college or, or young adults, and he began to preach this message, right? It's just a simple message right? that we need to repent of our sin begins with us, that if there's anything sketchy or borderline in our lives, that we need to be willing uh, to call that sin and to let go of that, and then to surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit, whatever he would want to do in our lives. And then the fourth thing, to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. Simple message. Preached for about two hours, and then they started praying. Said, went until 2 a.m., and the next night people wanted to come back. And, and, and slowly but surely, people started coming. That was Wednesday. By the end of the week, 60 people had come to faith in Christ, okay, because people were just repenting of their sins, asking, God, forgive me, forgive me for all of these things. After two years, they said over a million people in Wales had come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. And, and they say, begin with this group of people who are willing to, to begin with themselves and to confess their sins. And they talk about the fruit of their revival. They said that, that policemen got laid off of their jobs because for 18 months, there was no crime in the city. They said that the coal mines had to be shut down also because the mules that did all the work were so used to getting orders by these, these workers cussing to them. And, and these people gave up cussing. They gave up, they abandoned all that stuff that, that the mules were completely, they didn't understand the, the commands of their workers anymore. And so they stopped working. All of these crazy things begin to happen as a sign of the revival. People literally turning from their wicked ways and giving their lives to Christ. And they said that court cases were very, very rare, but there was one in particular. This guy wasn't a Christian, went in, and he, convicted by the Holy Spirit, went into the courtroom and said, I confess I did this crime. I killed this person. The judge said, okay, gave the sentence, and he led this guy to Christ, and then the jury began singing Amazing Grace together. Can you imagine a court case like that happening today? And I begin to wonder, has... The Holy Spirit stopped working in our day and age. Is the Holy Spirit incapable of doing a similar work in your life and in mine and in our area? It says it begins with us being broken over our sin, not playing hot potato with it and then getting it back and, oh, darn it, it's stuck with me, but to call sin what it is. And to have a, a hatred for sin that's driven by a love for Jesus. That says, I don't want this anymore because there's a new master. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to compromise with my, my boyfriend anymore. I'm not going to do this and that. I'm not going to, you know, give into these habits or these patterns and, and say whatever it is that, that is anymore. I'm going to call it sin and I'm going to turn from my wicked ways. Are we a, do we believe that the Holy Spirit is able to do something like that in our lives today? And are we willing to step forward in faith? See, part of our journey through Lent is that this would be our story and that this would be our longing. That I don't want to live with, with these, these pet sins anymore and then get to Good Friday and look at the cross and then say, okay, you know what? Jesus died for that sin. And then we go home on, on Friday night and come back on Saturday morning living in the same sin and then coming on Sunday morning talking about how Jesus has risen from the dead and set me free from sin while we're still living in these sins. I don't believe that's the heart of God. I don't believe that's why Jesus died for us to go wishy-washy back and forth but for us to look into our hearts and to call sin for what it is and then to say, God, I need your help. But as I surrender these things to you, 
Fill me and empower me so that I can journey towards you in a right way. The last thing that we see then is that God values um, the heart much more than the art. Again, verse 14, if you read through these things, what is God calling us to? It says, if we will humble, they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. And all of these things are things that involve the heart. As we go through Lent, I am absolutely convinced, and so ought you be, that God is after our heart a whole lot more than he's after the art of fasting or prayer or repentance or whatever it is. That God is so much more about that. These words that he uses here, it's all about the heart. It's about a broken place in our hearts where we're no longer the same about sin or about brokenness or about our lives anymore, where we look into this and we begin to realize that, that, that God is after so much more. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will touch your heart. We say this a lot about sermons, that, that sermons born in the head will touch the head, but sermons born in the heart will touch the heart. We want to touch the heart of God. It's got to be something that's born in the heart. It's got to be about our hearts. One of a uh, uh, Korean pastor out in Seattle, Eugene Cho, wrote on his blog, he says, at the end of the day, God's going to say, I didn't want your coffee. I wanted you. Talk about giving up coffee for Lent. God's like, I, don't want, I, didn't, I never wanted your coffee. Like, that was ever a big deal. I wanted you. I wanted your heart. I don't just want your secular music. I want your heart. I don't just want your steak. I want your heart. I don't just want your, your shopping. I want you. That's what I want. I don't care about your soda. I don't care about your nail polish. I don't care about these things that you do. I, at the end of the day, that's not what I want. When all is said and done, it's about you. It's about your heart. That's what he wants. Say, so would you give that to me? Would you give that to me? Some of y'all are still trying to figure out, what am I going to give up for Lent? That's what you want to give up. What that looks like, the form, none of that matters. But let's not be so focused on these things that we forget that this is what God wants. That's what he wants. Keith Green wrote this great song based on uh, on Samuel. It says, um, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. And you can substitute anything for money, right? To obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your coffee. I want your life. Sometimes I think it's like we can go 325 days out of the year doing whatever we want to do, and then for 40 days of Lent, we're like, God, here's my sacrifice. And God's like, I don't need that. I don't even want that. I want you. How preposterous would it be for, for, for a man to go out to get drunk every weekend, to go carousing, to hang out at, at clubs and parties and to mess around uh, with all these women and then to go home and, and to bring this $15,000 car or $30,000 car and say, here, sweetheart, this is, here, this is for you. It's like, I don't, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your heart. I want your obedience. Like, that's what God is saying. 
It's not about all these other things that you could give to me. At the end of the day, cut through all that stuff. This is what I want. I want you. I want your love. I want your affection. I want your allegiance. I want your adoration. I want your heart. That's what I want. When he talks about this, he says, and seek my face. Literally what that means is it's a longing for my presence. If you take away these things that you indulge in, right? take away your K-pop music, take away your Korean videos, take all that away, but don't just take that away. God's saying, you want to do it the way that honors me, then here's what you have to do. You need to pursue me with that, to seek my presence, to long for the presence of God. That's what fasting is that honors God. Throughout the Bible, you read this in all of the prophets, these people honor with me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God's like, I don't want that. Read that in, in, in Jesus. He says, don't do these things to be seen by men because then you've already received your reward. But do it in front of God, and then your reward will be great. And God's always been about the heart. He's always been about what we surrender to him, not in terms of our, our one-time 40-day sacrifice, but in terms of a reflection of the way that we live life. God's like, that's what I want, that you would long for my presence. If you If you delete these things from your life, then add a passionate pursuit of the presence of God into your day, into your life. This is what we're trying to do when we talk about this 714 challenge. It comes from this verse, obviously, which we'll call 714. I know you guys would be upset if it was like 314 because, I mean, you have to wake up at 3 o'clock. But 714, this is what what I'm asking. This is what I'm challenging myself and, and us to do. All right, 714. If you do it in the morning, that's cool. If you do it at night, that's cool. If you do it both, that's cool. But at 714, remember, remember this foundation of what is it that God is seeking from us. And once or twice a day, just go to that place and say, Lord, I, I just, I just want to give you my heart. Here are the things that I'm struggling with. Here are the things that I'm wrestling with. These are the temptations that I battle with. Here are the demons that I face. Here are the addictions that I can't seem to get over. Here are the things that I constantly, here's my cherry tree that I keep on chopping down. God, this is me. I give it to you. Help me, Lord. Help me to surrender this to the Lord. Yeah, that's one thing. The second thing is as we lead in, in prayer for, for Easter week, we want this to, that, that week to be a celebration. Pray for that. And then thirdly, there are people who need to know the message of Christ. People that maybe 30 years later, if your child or your grandchild was to ask you, hey, who was your best friend? And did your best friend, did you ever tell him about Jesus? Right, this would be the person that you think about. To pray for that person, this is all in the insert of your bulletin, but to pray through these three things as a way of intentionally carving out the time so that you can get into the presence of God. That's what this is all about, guys. That's what it's all about. It's not about you giving up something and and saying, gosh, this this self-denial, and and, and we're so focused on what we're giving up rather than focusing on, on the one for whom we're doing all this to create that space, to get with your house church, to get with your spouse, to get with your Sunday school class, or get with a buddy and say, hey, let's, let's do this together. Let's call each other up and let's pray together. And let's see the hand of God move. The Holy Spirit is still wanting to work, but it's contingent upon if my people would open and surrender themselves to him, to seek for and to long for the presence of God. As I think about this, I think about our uh, senior pastor, Inky Kim, a couple weeks ago, he was telling us about uh, 
some of the some of his uh, kind of his romantic past. If you could even imagine that, <laughs> but he was telling us about some of the people that he used to you know used to court and stuff, and and he talked about how he finally won the hand of his wife, and he he just talks about how she she never liked him, but his mentality was I'm gonna make her like me, right? So he said every day. Right, this is stuff from Saved by the Bell. He's like, he would find out her school schedule. He said, every day, I leave my school 10 minutes early, my class 10 minutes early, and I walk to where she is, and then I wait for her. <laughs> and she comes out of the class, and she's like, what are you doing here? And I say, may I have your book? And then he <laughs> carries his books, and he walks her to her next class. He says, I was always leaving class early. I was always going to class late. Don't do that, by the way. But he said he was always leaving class early, always getting to class late. Why? Because that's the only thing he wanted was to be in the presence of the one that he loved. And I think that's the heart of God. That's what he wants. when When you strip it down to the bare essentials, It's not about soda. It's not about fast food. It's not about shopping. It's not about TV. It's not about social media. It's not about Facebook. It's not about the internet. It's about just being with him. That's what he wanted. And the only way that is possible is because Jesus came into our world See, he saw the brokenness of the world. And he said, I can't sit here and do nothing about it. So what did you do? He entered into a world that was swimming in muck and mire and filth, and he entered and dove headfirst into it. He didn't separate himself from it. He didn't say, call me after 33 years and I'll die. But he entered right into the thick of the brokenness of the world. In fact, Throughout the Gospels, the people that he went to were the messy, the icky, the broken, the dirty, the prostitutes, the shunned ones, the untouchables, the people that nobody wanted to be around. And he came for people like you and me who are just like them. And at the end of his life, Jesus took the sins of the world and the brokenness of the world and all of that upon himself. He was numbered with the transgressors. Though he never, man, we're broken over our own sin, but Jesus had no sin of his own to be broken over. And so he took upon himself the sins of everybody else who ever lived. And the full weight of that disglory was placed upon himself. And on that cross, he took all of it. And when he said, it is finished, he said, one day, One day, all of this brokenness and all of this sin will be done away with. And there we will forever stand in the presence of God. The ransomed in glory will stand before him and we'll see him face to face. Man, that's what we live for, guys. As a child of God, this is what we live for, is to be in his presence, to be with him, to to, to be with him face to face and to see him. And at that point in time, yeah, in heaven, it doesn't matter if there's no Korean drama. It doesn't matter if there's no soda. It doesn't matter if there's none, any of those things. The only thing that matters is that Jesus is there. 
And he's saying, that's, that's the desire that Lent is to create within us, a hunger for more of Jesus, a hunger for more of Jesus that drives out a hunger for everything else that this world can offer to us. It is a rejection, a surrendering of what our body craves so that we can have what our soul desperately needs. That's what it's about. Let's journey together there. Let's pray. As we pray, I want to invite us into this challenge, this 714 challenge together. As you go home from here, to commit your heart to memory, 2 Chronicles 714, anytime you see the brokenness in the world, remember, if my people, whenever you want to blame other people for what's wrong in this world, remember, if my people, whenever we think about those who are lost and those who are hurting and those who are dying, remember, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn away from all their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I want to move us into this challenge together by inviting us to pray. Just three things that we'll be praying for the next 40 days. Pray, first of all, where is that place of brokenness in your life, that sin, that temptation, that struggle in your life? I know what it is in mine. What is it in your life? Let's take some time to surrender that to the Lord and say, Jesus, As I let go of this, I know, if I let go of this, I know for a fact that a dam would be broken and love for Jesus would flow forth and I would long for more of you. But God, I've had such a hard time letting go of this. I've had such a hard time surrendering this to you. I want to. I need to. Help me, Lord God, to let go. Help me to overcome. Help me to be victorious. We pray for that first and then secondly, let's pray as we lead up through Lent to Holy Week, just praying, God, would you move in that time, move in this time, that we would experience a corporate and individual revival and renewal. And then thirdly, let's pray for those people in our lives that we know uh, we may want to invite to Easter Sunday, or we know they may not know the Lord Jesus. Let's take some time to pray uh, for them as well. Our world is looking desperately, seeking, longing for heroes to rise up who will not turn a blind eye or a deaf ear, but say, I did something about the brokenness in my world. And so let's come before the Lord and, and let's spend a few moments in prayer. Right? Let's go to that place and, and really let, let, let's pray. Really using this opportunity, seizing the moment. Say, God, do your work. Do a greater work in me. Let, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank God Almighty. Father, we need you for the work in us, Lord God, that you would challenge us, Lord God, and that you would move within us, Lord, that you would wrestle with our hearts now, Lord God, and that you would challenge us with the love and action, Lord God, that you would move within our hearts, Lord God, to be desperate for you, Lord. Jesus, that you would challenge us, Lord God, and that you would move us to let go of the hearts and minds we need to draw us into desperate Lord, that you would begin, Lord God, to work on our Lord, to bring brokenness and move us through that you would come, Lord God,
Lord, you God, Jesus, we know, Lord God, that we're not going to you know the places in our hearts, Lord God, that we struggle with. You know the places in our hearts that we struggle with. You know the battles in our hearts, Lord. Lord, that Jesus, Lord, that we struggle with those battles. Lord, that you just bring that to light, Lord God. Lord, that you just bring to our lives, Lord Jesus, and we can see that you're doing it. Just continue to soak in his presence for a little bit and just pray, God, help me to want you, to want more of you in my life. Help me to long for your presence, to be desperate for you. So many times, guys, revival tarries because we don't want it enough, because we don't long for it enough, because we're okay with where we are. And let's not be all right. Let's not be all right with where we are. Let's not be okay with with where the world is. Let's not be okay to to read the same things in the newspaper day after day and and just let it pass by. Let's not be cool with that. Let's not be all right with where we are in our walks with God. Let's not be okay to be half-hearted in our our devotion. Let's not be okay to, to, to dabble with sin during the week and then to come and to lift up holy hands before the Lord on Sunday. And let's seek more of the Lord God. I don't want to live half-hearted. I don't want to live wishy-washy. I want to live full throttle for the Lord Jesus. Don't you? Don't you want to experience the depth of grace and the depth of joy and the depth of life that he offers to us? Let's press into the presence of God and long for that. It's available, guys. We're as intimate with God as we want to be. Let's seek after the Lord God just a little bit more, just praying, God, I I want to want more of you. I long for your presence more. Let's pray for a few more moments. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and your promises spoken years ago that reveal your heart to us. Father, we confess for the ways in which we've sinned, either overtly or even in ways that we don't even know, but we also confess to you the ways in which it's easy to blame other people or to point fingers at them for what they're not doing right, or for us to call them into something that we know would be better for them, all the while realizing that so many times it's so hard for us even to live out. So many times we realize that in our judgmentalism, in our critical attitudes, we find ourselves being hypocritical. 
So, Father, for that, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? Forgive us for having that kind of an attitude towards those outside the church. Forgive us for having a holier-than-thou attitude toward those both inside and outside the congregation. That you would cleanse us, continue to convict us and to mold us and to shape us. God, unless we see the gravity and the reality of sin, we will not see the gravity and the reality of grace. And only when grace woos and amazes us will the songs flow freely and beautifully for a watching world to embrace as well. Father, we need you. We're desperately in need of you. So much more, so much more than we know. Convict us and challenge us and help us to see so that we might live in the path and the life that you've called us to live in. We love you, but it's only because you've loved us first and secured that love for us. We thank you so much. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.